Hi, I'm Joe Posnanski. Uh, before we get started with the podcast this week, uh, it's time for our shout out to the Dollar Shave Club, our sponsor. Uh, for those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast, you know, uh, I don't like to shave. Uh, my partner, Michael Shore, likes shaving way less than I do. So that would make us just about the worst people on earth to be telling you about the Dollar Shave Club. And yet, on the other hand, it's sort of a perfect fit for us. I think the thing that uh, makes the Dollar Shave Club so cool is you don't have to think about it. It comes every month. You get a box with your razors, your razor sticks, whatever they call those things, uh, lotions if you want. I mean, you can go as deep as you want. You can get as much shaving stuff. They've got a million shaving things there. Uh, you can go as deep or as simple as you want. I like it very simple. Just get my box, uh, use a different razor uh, blade every week. Very cool, very easy to do. Uh, I like it. And if you go to dollarshaveclub.com slash podcast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T, you get the first month free, which, uh, you know, it's free. Michael Shores likes to say, and I tend to agree with him, you never, ever turn down free stuff, ever. There's no reason to ever turn down. I go, I go to every single uh, free sample I can ever go to. Uh, dollarshaveclub.com slash podcast. Uh, and now let's go on with the show. And with me today, a very long time friend, uh, 20 plus years friend, uh, author of Unplayable, I'm going to read the whole title, Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season, tumultuous, I can't believe you used that word, um, <laughs> and the man with the best Australian accent of anybody I know. Robert Lucetich. Oh, no, I fake it pretty well. Yeah, fake you it well. You've been faking that thing forever, like your whole life. I have been. I have been. No one, no one's caught me yet. I will <laughs> tell you though that years ago in Santa Barbara, a girl in a bar said to me, "You know, you can stop that whole Australian accent <laughs> thing," and proceeds to tell me that she dated a guy for three months, and the, the phone rang in their apartment, in his apartment one time, and she picks it up, and uh, and it was his mother, and she says, "Oh, that's funny that you you don't have an Australian accent," and the mother says. Is he doing that again? <laughs> <laughs> if I could do your accent, no, I would. I would do it. I would do it. You know, I remember, yeah. uh, and, and I'm not joking when I tell you, Robert and I go back a very long way, and and uh, and we used to talk about this. We used to talk about how terrible, and, and they have a new guy now who does it, uh, but how terrible the Australian accent was in those old Outback commercials. Yeah. Remember that guy? Yeah, that guy had to be from Tampa, Florida. Exactly. Right? And we're like, how are you not doing that? That's you. This you have the real thing, and this guy's like, hey, the outback, hey, you know, it's horrible. Well, I think back in those days that the the the, the guys that uh, started outback realized that uh, uh, they knew nothing about Australia at all. <laughs> they were just they just saw they saw Crocodile Dundee and thought people like Australians. Let's have a steakhouse. I mean, let me just tell you something. That chicken's not from Alice Springs. Really? I was telling you. <laughs> I was always I don't, thinking. I don't even know if there are any chickens in Alice Springs, but there, <laughs> but there's not that many of them to feed every restaurant, every outback restaurant in the, in, in the United States. So I, I remember let's going. Just take take that out there. Yeah, I remember going to Sydney for the Olympics in 2000 and looking around and going, "There's not a blooming onion anywhere in this entire city." Yeah, I mean that's another thing. The the, the blooming onion. I don't even know that. Onion rings made it to Australia <laughs> until maybe ten years ago. So, I mean, there was a, there was a lot going on. It was a, it was a, I think in fact that the, the whole thing was started by three guys from from Florida. So there you go. But uh, you know what? It worked out, and they finally did. As you as you noted, uh, they finally got themselves an actual Australian chef to put on their ad. So there's a bit of authenticity, even if it's just the slight little bit. Yeah, just but I little... will tell you that it's not more than 20 years that we've known each other. I know exactly when it was. It was 1996 because it was my first Masters okay. uh, where, where I met you. And you were indeed the esteemed columnist of the Augusta Chronicle at the time, I believe. Uh, yeah, 96 was, was might have been just after I, I'd started in Cincinnati, but I was I was. Still... Or maybe you'd, maybe you'd just gone to Cincinnati. Yes. That's right. That's where, that's where I... But, that, but, but it was 96 because it was my first Masters. And to get back to the point of our, of our, of our topic today, I, I actually vividly recall Jack Nicklaus coming yes. in uh, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and saying, 
Well, I just played golf with this kid who's going to win more jack, more green jackets than Arnold and I combined. Combined. And I, and I thought, you know, that would be 11. That would be a lot. <laughs> That'd be a lot. Uh, so uh, as it turned out, it wasn't 11. It, it was not. But, it was uh, not. But, but, it, it, but it's been an okay career for Tiger Woods, who is our topic of discussion today. And obviously a uh, few people... Uh, not only can get into this sort of world of, of Tiger, uh, having written about him and, and, and covering him for all these years, but also I think sort of strip away some of the, the I, I don't know if you call it dreaminess or whatever it is that has surrounded Tiger, because you have the, the, uh, the distinct sort of, uh, I don't know exactly how I would describe it, but you're one of the only people I know who both loves and could not possibly admire Tiger's career more. I mean, you are, you are just, uh, you, you, you constantly uh, make the point and a point I totally agree with that Tiger Woods was, was like a thing from another planet. We'll never see a player as good probably in our lifetime as Tiger Woods was. And yet at the same time, be unromantic enough to realize it's, he's never going to be that guy again. And you've known that for a long time, well, right? Yeah. I have, I have, and I think that uh, I, you know, look. I mean, looking back on it now, I would say that it, it, the decline actually began, uh, really. I think when Earl died, yeah. and I didn't think it was as big a deal at the time, but uh, years later, I remember talking to Steve Williams, and he said Tiger changed after his father died, and and, and what he noticed most was that there wasn't the same passion for golf. And I wonder in some way if golf and his father were not intertwined to such a, to such a degree that when one was gone, the other one became less brilliant to him, less important, less significant. Um, and maybe golf, you know, maybe, maybe he just also, the other, the other thing is, you know, and I've been making this point for a long time too, you know, we we're not eight years old anymore. I mean, at some yeah. point we we have different goals in life. That's we have right. different dreams. We have different aspirations. And and I think that it's unfair, in a sense, to to make Tiger at the age of forty one want to do what he wanted to do when he was eight years old. Right. That's right. Well, first of all, let's 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 break this down because I think uh, this is a great way to sort of get to today. What year did Earl Woods die? Uh, in 2004, I think it was. Okay, so right in the middle of when Tiger was, you know, obviously you can sort of break up Tiger's career. You know, there's the there's the very early Tiger showing up and just overpowering Augusta National in 1997 and winning by a million shots and whatever. But he wasn't a great golfer yet. He He went through several sort of retoolings of the swing, changing of his swing and all of that. Then he won the four uh, major championships in a row and, and, and was sort of a one peak of Tiger Woods' career. And that was the year that he, that he blew up uh, Pebble Beach, probably in the greatest performance uh, in, in major championship history, maybe. And then there, was not, wouldn't it, there wasn't a dip. He was still the best player in the world. But then there was another rise in the mid-2000s, right around 2004, 2005, right around the time that Earl died taking us all the way to 2008, I guess, when he won the U.S. Open on one leg um, and then had to miss a couple of, of tournaments, uh, major championships. And then he, he came back in 2009, and then that was the year of the scandal. So, so basically you have about a decade or so where Tiger Woods was untouchable, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I really actually, honestly, I'd go back even further. Um, if you look at the, I mean, no, no one's ever won three U.S. Yes. junior amateurs and then three U.S. amateurs in a row. In a row. I mean, this is just this is just ridiculous. I mean, the, I mean, the dominance of Tiger, and and again, one of the one of the overlooked things. I mean, Earl was a listen. He was a bit of a crackpot for sure. Um, he certainly was an embellisher of stories, but he was a great storyteller. Yes. I had you know, breakfast with him one time and, and was just mesmerized. I say breakfast. I, I ate breakfast. He had, uh, I think, three Bloody Marys and a, and, and a lot of menthol cigarettes. But, <laughs> that, that, that was uh, breakfast that day. <laughs> but that was breakfast that day. And, uh, uh, but yeah, he ordered off menu. But, uh, 
but uh, you know, he, he and he, but it, he was very, very. I, I found him very charming, and you know, you could listen to him spin tales all day long. That's but one true, of the yeah. things that he did that I thought was was in in retrospect quite brilliant was when Tiger was you know seven, eight, nine, ten. He could have beaten kids that were fourteen, sure. but Earl never let him play them. He he uh, he made him play the kids his age in his own age group. And Tiger learned what it was to win, what it was to win when you're playing well, what it was to win when you're not playing so well, when your putter's hot, when your putter's not, when, you know, different ways. And later, as he grew into, into adulthood and, and started playing professionally and winning professionally, he drew from those experiences because winning was, all, was what he knew and he knew, he knew how to do it. And Earl was very, very important in all of that. But certainly... I don't, and when I say this about the, the, the passing of Earl, I'm not sure that I'm, I don't really mean that stuff. I think it's more of a spiritual thing. Yeah. Um, I, I remember asking Tiger, I, I want to say it was, you know, 2010 maybe, and uh, about Tory Pines, you know, and, and the significance of Tory Pines to him. Uh, because an interesting thing that, uh, that, that uh, Steve Williams told me when I was writing Unplayable, was that he found it really instructive in a sense that Tiger, when he was going for four in a row, never mentioned the Masters until it was time to think about the yeah. 2001 Masters. Like, he didn't think about it. He didn't, it wasn't on his mind after he won that PGA against Bob May and, and he, he started thinking about four in a row. He thought about the Masters, you know, after Doral and Bay Hill, like he normally would, getting ready for the Masters. However, he said, when the USGA announced that Torrey Pines would host the US Open, he said Tiger never shut up about it. Hmm. He was always, always talking about it, always thinking about it. He would always say, I wonder what they're going to do here. I wonder how they're going to, they're going to, they're going to change the, the, the layout. And, and I think that, again, is because of the, the history of, of he, Earl used to take him, uh, to Tory when he was a when he was a boy to watch the pros, and he always wanted to play it. And Earl would say, "You're not good enough. You're not good enough yet to play here." And then finally, you know, that day came when he, he was probably ten, by the way, <laughs> when he was good enough to play. But uh, but you know, finally the day came, and it was such a big moment in his life. And uh, you know, when I asked him about this, and he's rarely, as as you know, uh, uh, sort of loquacious about his uh, his 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 inner feelings. Right. But uh, I asked him about, you know, he said, he, he, he said something like when, you know, people always ask, you know, what's your, what's your foursome? You know, if, if you had one last round of golf, where would it be and who would you play with? And he says to me, he goes, it's not a foursome. It's just pops and I, yeah. and it's at Tory Pines. So there is somewhere, you know, in there, there is that, that level of, sentimentality that that was lost i think in a way and let's not forget what did he what did he want to do and obviously he doesn't talk about this very much because i think maybe he feels embarrassed about it in, in a way but but what did he want to do after 2004 it, that is when the the this this strange bizarre yearning to be a navy seal yeah. really really took hold of him it's really strange. I mean, it, you know, it, it does, but it's not strange if you think about really his whole life. He'd never, you know, I don't want to play pop psychologist here, but it's obvious his whole uh, life. We he, will. Well, but but I mean, it's it. it you don't. Have, I don't even have to. You don't have to get in somebody's head to see. No. He never had a choice. I mean, once he became sort of a golfing phenom. And and yeah. you know he was a he was a prodigy at three, right? So once that happened in the in the place where he grew up with his father, uh, and I do believe he loving the game too. I mean, I don't believe he was forced into anything, but but no, told... no, no, no. He was he was the driving force. In fact, sure, and probably more than Earl, he was the driving force. Well, that's interesting. So so I mean, I even do you think even as a very very young kid. He was, I mean, I'm Absolutely. not saying Earl pushed him in anything, but you think he was at least an equal, if not greater force than Earl in those oh, early I, days? I, I have no doubt that he was, he was not only an equal, he exceeded yeah. Earl in his sort of passion and 
almost sort of zealousness. Uh, he, I mean, the, the Earl told a story about coming home from work and, uh, you know, Tiger would be waiting and he wanted to go play golf. It's, it's time to go play golf. That's all he, you know, he dreamed about, he thought about. And they would play, they would play the Navy course down in, uh, in, in uh, sort of northern San Diego, I think it is. Um, and Earl would say, okay, it's dark, you know, we're, we're done. And Tiger would not want to stop. Yeah. So Earl started doing this thing where he would say, okay, we can't see the ball. If you can, and it, you know, Earl was in, the, in, a, in a golf cart. He said, if you hit the ball and you tell me where it is and I drive there and it's there, you can hit the next shot. And Tiger got so good at it, you know, left side of the fairway, drive over there. Sure enough, there's the ball. Hits it onto the green. You know, where's the green? They can't see anything. And Tiger just knew where it was going. Um, I mean, there are many stories about the precociousness of Tiger. Um, uh, uh, one of his early coach, in fact, his first real coach. Um, and I, I, I always remember this story because it just strikes me as who this, who this kid was. Um, Earl finally realizing, look, I, you know, I, I need to take him to someone who knows what they're doing better than I. Yeah. So he took him to a, t- took him to a, a very, uh, esteemed, uh, junior coach in, in the Orange County area in Southern California. And, uh, and the guy says, uh, all right, well, uh, take that seven iron and hit it at that flag over there. Let me see a swing. And Tiger says very politely, sir, I know how to do that. But what I, what I want you to tell me is if I'm behind that tree over there, how do I curve it so it goes to that flag? <laughs> I mean, this is just beyond precocious. I mean, this is he, – he, you know, he, he, he just really was pretty much, as I, as I say, in, 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 a, in a kind way. And it, it, I mean, he was a freak, he was, uh, he as, was as very, very few are. But he, he was so – not only just, just had the passion and the desire, but obviously, you know, the talent. You know, one of the things that interests me about Tiger, and, and you really, you know, you talk about his precociousness, you talk about how, how you know, much he wanted it. Um, after Earl died, there was a stretch of time where he clearly wanted to sort of, you know, play well and win in his father's memory. Like there, there was a there was a stretch there where that was clearly very important to him. He broke down. Uh, you know, after winning and, and it was, it was clearly very important. He was thinking very much about his father and that lasted for a little while, probably all the way to, to, to Torrey Pines, where you, as you talk about it, he was not going to lose that U S open. I mean, right. I mean, there was, there was nothing, I mean, heck, uh, basically being on one leg didn't stop him, but there was nothing that was going to stop him from winning that U S open. Right. No. And he, well, and, and remember that, uh, you know, he had, all the medical advice that he had was that you couldn't play and that uh, you needed to rest and then t- have the surgery, which he, he decided to put off. And, and the way that, you know, Tiger is, uh, he's secretive by nature. That's another, I think, thing that Earl taught him. There was a um, famous story about, uh, you know, Earl uh, asking him, doing a mock interview when he was a little boy and saying, uh, you know, what is your name? And he would say, I'm Tiger Woods and I'm nine years old. And, and he said, stop. I only asked you what's your name. Only answer the question you're asked. You know, so Tiger's uh, uh, lack of uh, openness with the media really uh, stems back a long time. I mean, as I like to say, he plays his cards uh, so close to his chest they're tattooed on. So, um, you know, they're, 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 he doesn't betray too many too many secrets, uh, which uh, which why you know just this latest episode where he talks about being vulnerable, his game being vulnerable. I almost fell out of my chair when I read that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he had a he had a period there where I think that he did. You know, I mean, we all we all are in in ways big and small our father's sons. And, and so the, you know, when, when they pass there, there, there is, there is this closeness and this bond that, uh, that you almost want to forge to make it as close as it can be. Um, but I think that the way in which that, that materialized was not through golf, but Tiger having this urge to become a Navy SEAL. His dad, obviously Green Beret was a special forces guy. Um, and that military, I, th- I think that, you know, I mean, he even admitted this 
at an earlier age that if he wasn't a golfer, he would have he would have wanted to have, to have been in special forces or a Navy SEAL. He started embarking on that level of training. Uh, I believe Hank Haney certainly. I've talked to Hank Haney about this, and uh, he believes that at least in part the knee injury that Tiger suffered was as a result of, in fact, doing Navy SEAL training, not from the golf swing. Huh. Uh, I wonder if the back problems that he's having may also in some way have been uh, inflicted by these very intense war games, if you like, that he he liked to go and, and, and do. But Haney told me that in 2007, he noticed that Tiger's work ethic had really started to slip. And so I think that at some point between 2004 and 2007, golf wasn't what it used to be. Yeah. And then we get to 2008 and he, he does this one last thing. And I, I think, you know, I, I remember being there that day on the Monday when he beat Rocco Mediate um, and thinking to myself, there is nothing this guy can do anymore that would, that, that shocks me. It's just so amazing that you can, you know, beat every golfer in the world on one leg, and he had no game. He literally had no game. I mean, he was he was hitting it everywhere, yeah. and and somehow just his his just will. I mean, that putt that he makes to get into the playoffs. Unbelievable. That putt. I mean, that putt doesn't break that way. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go that way, but it did. It did for him. It just went in. I mean, I remember Luke Donald told me at Medina when he won the PGA, and Luke was in the last group with him. He said, "He said I don't think what people under, don't understand that he wills the ball into the hole." Yeah. It's and and you know it it just was the way it was. But then obviously all of that came crashing down when he crashed into that fire hydrant, and maybe a little bit before that. I think that. I think that he was wounded by Yang at the at the PGA at Hazeltine just a couple of months before the, the fire hydrant and Thanksgiving 2009. That loss was the first time that he'd lost a, a third-round lead right. at a major. Um, and it was against, you know, I, I mean, it was against a, a guy that was, uh, that was, you know, Buster Douglas. Yeah. Uh, to to his Tyson, I mean, it was just there's no way that Y. E. Yang should be beating Tiger Woods. He did take a great approach. Uh, I think I think Yang was the the only guy that played against Tiger that didn't think about beating Tiger Woods. Yeah, and and it was sort of a genius move on his part where he said, "I'm hoping to play my best, and I hope he won't play his best." Yeah, and. Uh, and that's how that turned out. But losing that, I think that I think that that dented Tiger in a way, um, because I saw him right after that at the Barclays, uh, which was on being played at Liberty National in in uh, across from Manhattan, and he had about an eight foot putt, which at that time he thought might have been to win the tournament. It actually would have been just for a playoff, uh, but he missed it on the on the seventy second hole. And uh, I, you know, I thought, wow. Tiger doesn't miss those putts, yeah. not when they mean they mean a tournament. So I think that there was a little bit of a dent, and then whatever that dent turned into a crater, basically, at, uh, in, in Thanksgiving 2009. And for me, that's always been the line in the sand. Uh, we were at the Ryder Cup in 2010 uh, with our good friend Jim Litke sure. uh, from the Associated Press, and and having sampled enough of Newport's cuisine, uh, we in Wales we. We we made a drive one night to Cardiff because I remembered uh, having been there before. I remembered that there was a good Italian restaurant, and uh, and you know we get there late and who who's in there but Michael Jordan and his and his entourage with uh, Ahmad Rashad and, and other guys and uh, and Litke knew Jordan pretty well. I knew him a little bit from uh, covering the Bulls, but but certainly not not that well. But uh, Litke knew him pretty well, and he came over to us and he said, you know, how's how's my boy doing and. Uh, Obviously, talking about Tiger, and and you know, we said, well, you know, he actually played quite well that day, decently. And Jordan says, you know what his problem is, and of course, I'm all ears. <laughs> I said, what do you think it is? And he says he hears everything. Yeah, that's his problem. And I I thought about that because, I mean, Michael Jordan wouldn't have had that scandal because he would have gone and dropped a double nickel on the Knicks the next yeah. night. Yeah. Okay, and then and then the narrative goes back to sport. Kobe Bryant 
created the Black Mamba after his rape case because the Black Mamba, because because Kobe did feel wounded by by what he heard from from the from the the crowds, but the Black Mamba didn't. Yeah, and so you know, Tiger never found that that the way in which to get back. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, he tried to, in a, in a sense, the most optimistic that I saw him after 2009 was his very next tournament, the, the 2010 Masters. And he had no game at all, but he finished fourth. He almost won it yeah. with nothing. But I think that it, it, you know, that was him rolling the dice to see, will the legend of Tiger Woods do this? You know, will, will it happen? And and it didn't. And after that, he starts missing cuts. And, you know, then and then, of course, you know, he moves on to the injury narrative, which is a lot more comfortable for him to talk about being injured rather than to talk about psychological scarring. Well, and look, psychological scarring is so hard to uh, it's so hard to get your arms around and, and so hard even for him, I think, to get his arms around. What I remember after the scandal, so the scandal is 2009. He plays in the Masters in 2010. It's his first tournament back. He had that very awkward, long press conference, which was sort of his apology press conference, but it was very awkward, especially for for a guy who had always been, uh, as you mentioned, so close to the vest, but also so sort of he, – he, he ruled the room when he was in there and here, here he, he was clearly wounded and, and, and sort of coming, you know, back to, to sort of gain something forgiveness, you know, from everybody else. And in there, he said something that Michael Jordan, I don't think would ever have said. And he, he started talking about how he hoped the fans wouldn't boo him. He he hoped that when he came back, that they wouldn't boo him. And that's, it was sort of, at, up to that point, you didn't think that stuff mattered to him. You know, I mean, obviously he was, he, he heard all the cheers and, and obviously, you know, he would get mad when people would click their cameras or, or whatever during his backswing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he seemed above it all. He seemed like people, I mean, I remember over and over and over again, people would talk about this guy. He's a killer. He's, 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 he's just got a darkness, you know, in his soul. And, and that's what he, that was. And I don't think that's what it was at all. I, I, that was the first moment when I looked at it and I said, you know, this guy is just somebody who, like you said, grew up learning how to win. He knew exactly how to win. He never believed in his, you know, in, at any point that anybody was good enough to beat him. Uh, it, there was a, there was a confidence there, but that was the first time that I really was like, you know, Tiger's never really told us who he is. And this seems like here's a guy that he does care about this stuff. He, he doesn't want to be just the bad guy. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this. I don't think people fully appreciate just how much he, kept up with them. I mean, during the scandal, instead of shutting his doors and sort of hiding from it all, he, he kind of was, was checking in on it like constantly. Right. So he was reading the comments on TMZ. I oh, mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. This, is, this is something that, this is something that's not going to be good for your psychological no, welfare no. to be reading the comments on, on radar online. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it was, a, I, I think that everything you've said is, is pretty much on the money and that, you know, we we also helped create this construct yes. of of what is Tiger Woods and and listen, Nike, IMG, his agency, everybody was invested in this. Sure. And and so, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's life of Brian and you know somebody comes out and says he's not the Messiah, he's a naughty <laughs> little boy, but it's clo- it's 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 at least as much that as it is. That he was this, this, you know, uh, this sort of dark lord. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. wasn't. He, he, he was not. Uh, you know that he was not Darth Vader. He was not. He, he, he had a sensitivity to him that I think uh, we, you know, and, and obviously he learned to control that. He learned not to show it because he didn't. You know, he also understood not to betray weakness. Um, so there was there were there, there were parts of him that were. Uh, very much, you know, the, the the great warrior, but but there was inside a uh, a, a vulnerability 
Um, and the fact that, you know, the fact that he cared yeah. what people thought of him was really, to me, critical. And I, I think that um, certainly he, he sort of, you know, he, uh, what I see is, is, a, is a man who became lost because he no longer knew really who he was. And I'm not saying he, he was who he told us he was prior to 2009, but he certainly, that was at least, that was a character and, and he could play that character. And I think since then, he hasn't really under, he hasn't really found himself and, and, or maybe he has, and he's decided that, you know, his, his future, as we see now where he's, you know, he's launching his, uh, an umbrella company and, and uh, talking about business uh, interests and going to his, you know, kids soccer games. And maybe that's, that's the future and that's the future he wants, but which is fine with me. And I, it really is. And uh, I think I, I would have no problem if he rode off into the sunset. Uh, it would certainly be a, a great story, but the problem is I don't know that he's ready to do that because Tiger Inc needs the, 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 the promise yeah. of a comeback. And that's where we are now. And this is where I, you know, I get a lot of criticism from people who, who think of me as, as some sort of a, a naysayer or, or a hater or whatever. I mean, I, I'm none of those things. I just see what's there. And what I see that is there is very much a, a broken man uh, in the sense of a broken golfer, I should yes. say, yeah. who is, who is just doesn't have it. And, 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 you know, you can hide behind, you know, I, I, I really did think he would use the back surgeries to say, look, I'm done. Yeah. I can't, you know, I can't come back. Uh, and I think that's perfectly acceptable. I, I, I personally would have doubted that it was just the back surgeries because let's, let's not forget. I mean, I was there at the beginning of last year in Phoenix and at Torrey Pines. Uh, you know, you, you don't just have those kind of chip yips at that level, a, a player of his stature and his ability. I mean, when he had the greatest short game in the world and suddenly He's blading him across the green like a, a 30 handicapper. Yeah. That, that doesn't just happen. It wasn't just, you know, as he liked to say, uh, uh, conflicting swing patterns. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is all uh, – sometimes I wonder if he, like, how, mu how, how much he laughs at night when he, when he watches, you know, Sports Center and, and somebody says, well, he's conflicting swing patterns. <laughs> I mean, that's just nonsense. Uh, you know, he, he, he had the yips. And uh, my understanding is that last week – when he was going to play at the Safeway Open, which was part of a part of a deal that he did with, uh, and he wasn't the only one, but but go golfers that went to play in the Turkish Open, uh, which where they were lavishly paid appearance fees, did a deal with with Tim Finch and PGA Tour members, and Fincham said, "You can go and play this, but you all owe me, uh, you know, a, a fall series tournament to play in uh, at least one, and I think I believe it was one every." few years so they all agreed to it and tiger needed to do it last year but he got injured so he was coming back for it this year so again i mean with the motivation was it was it the motivation to get back out there or was it you know i owe this guy a favor i gotta go play and then and then you know he comes to california and from what i understand he he played on saturday and sunday and thought you know i i can't i can't go out there and do this with this game so so that you know the to me that the, there's a sadness to it it didn't have to end this way, but you know, all, all stories aren't, aren't aren't written to have happy endings. I really want to break this down a little bit because now we're in modern times. So you get to you know Tiger after after the the fire hydrant incident after the scandal, uh, he sort of has this up and down. He does have this this brief period in 2013 where he gets back up to number one in the world, but but he still can't kind of finish the deal at major championships um, and then more injuries and, and all this sort of thing. And that sort of takes us to now. And here, here is my question. So right now the tiger has just announced, as you mentioned, he's starting this, this company, this TGR, which seems to be taking a little bit of his foundation, but also sort of a business of, of creating events and, and that sort of thing. Um, he, he, he clearly is, 
very he seems to be very devoted and and I have no reason to doubt this he he seems to be very devoted to spending as much time as he can with his family his his kids and 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 does not seem to have golf as as the forefront of his mind which which I think is not only acceptable it's 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 perfectly admirable it's fine but here was my question so at the Ryder Cup which was I guess now about 3 weeks ago he comes to the Ryder Cup as this vice captain seemed to seemed to you know, be a, a little bit of a different tiger. He was he was happy and and hanging out with the golf the players and seemed to be doing whatever he could to help out. Uh, you know, in in this sort of way, but he didn't play all week. He didn't hit a golf ball the entire week, and that was basically a week and a half before the start of the Safeway Open. And while while thinking of that, I just thought there's not a chance. That he's going to play. I know he, at that point it was very. It was like on the schedule. He was going to play the Safeway Open. Like you can't, you can't take this much time off and then not hit a golf ball for an entire week, uh, like a week before you're supposed to be there to play. And so what surprised me was not that he pulled, but that he waited until the very last second. So what made him think? Even for that stretch of time, was it just him thinking, "Hey, I'm Tiger Woods, and it'll come together"? Like, what what do you think was happening there? Well, I, I you know, that's, there's a, there's a lot going on there. I mean, I think, in a sense, I wouldn't, I I, I wouldn't, I don't really feel that that was as big a, a big an issue in terms of not hitting balls that week, because frankly, that would have been a distraction. Sure. I mean, the 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 U.S. team was trying to, obviously, two out of the last ten Ryder Cups, trying to win one. They're at home. Tiger going out to the range would have just shifted the narrative oh, altogether. And yes, I, and, and I'm not uh, suggesting... It would have been a big distraction. Right, no, no, no. But, I'm not suggesting that he should have gone out and hit golf balls. I'm suggesting that there was no way, after a week of not hitting golf balls, that he was going to be ready to play in his first tournament in, whatever, eight months. Well, 14, but yeah. 14 months, uh, right. So, right. yeah. I mean, so the, the reality is that, I mean, most, you know, I talked to a, a tour player who said 50-50. I mean, he's, and this huh. was when, and by the way, he said 50-50 after Tiger committed. Wow. So, he, I mean, that was on the Friday. He, he, I, I said, do you think he's going to play? He said 50-50. So, I mean, this is, this is from his peers. Yeah. So the, the word, I think that, look, he, was he spent, did he spend all summer working on his game? No. I don't think that that happened at all. I don't think that I think he was, you know, doing what he likes to do, whatever that is, scuba diving. I don't know what he was doing, but he was he was not practicing golf because, uh, you know, interestingly, Golf Digest had two stories that were published, I think, within 24 hours of each other that were completely contradictory. One of them quoting Jesper Panovic saying that, Tiger was flushing it and yeah, hitting it better than he was in 2000. And the other one saying that nobody's seen him around as a medalist. <laughs> like, like, and the people who had seen him said, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't thinking he was flushing it. So I think that, uh, I, I, you know, as usual with Tiger, the fact that the fact that he's so secretive makes it very difficult to, to really establish what's, what is actually true and what's sure. happening um, I got involved and, and sucked into this vacuum earlier in the year when I when I was told, you know, by somebody who basically saw it that he was he was he was in pain. He actually reclined the seat in his car because sitting up was painful for him. And uh, and I said, you know, don't expect to see him back anytime soon, is what I'm hearing. And of course, that didn't suit Team Tiger's narrative. Right. And so uh, I, you know, Tiger. Tiger, you know, the next day has a as a this this sort of faux PR campaign that begins with him hitting a nine iron yeah, into a simulator, was, saying was, progressing nicely. That was kind that of was sad. in February. Yeah, I yeah. mean in February, and then his agent, who I have not one good thing to say about, Mark <laughs> Steinberg. Hope you're listening, Steiny. Uh, then proceed. Then issues a statement saying it's reprehensible that somebody would make up stories about Tiger. I mean. I mean, my God, make it up! I mean, it's 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 reprehensible that you're that you're that you're you know obfuscating the truth as you always do, Mr. Steinberg. But um, you know, because it, because obviously, Tiger Incorporated is a significant 
you know, sort of factor in what we're talking about. Yeah. The idea that he's done is not good for business. So we string along this, this, this comeback, even though the, every sign points to him being done. As I said on Twitter today, think De Niro doing stand-up at the beginning of Raging Bull. <laughs> uh, you know, Sinatra in his hairpiece pa- hair era. Um, it's it, the, there, you know, the guy is 41, but, and that's not old for a golfer as we know, but I mean, 41 with, with a lot of miles on, on the, uh, on those, on those tires and, uh, well, you know, and a lot add of, it all up. Yeah. A lot of surgeries. Look, and by the way, and you know, this has been my, my sort of trope, I guess the last six, seven, 41 not young either. Not even for a golfer. I mean, no. you, every so often you'll have a Phil Mickelson or somebody like that that'll that'll you know play well into their mid forties and it's amazing and whatever. But it's it's it, it's still not young. I mean, forty one is for most golfers. You're pretty well done as a as a major figure in the game when you hit your forties. There are some exceptions, but but. You're Tom Watson, you're Arnold Palmer, you're, you know, on and on and on, Lee Trevino. You can go through this long, long list of the best golfers, Nick Faldo. When you hit 40, you're in the announcing booth or you're or you're just struggling to make cuts. I mean, that's that's where we are. Plus, you have all the surgeries. Plus, you have, um, you know, the, 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 just the scarring, just the emotional scarring of, of the last, you know, now we're closing in on the last eight years, almost, you know, we're closing in on a decade since, since this all happened. Yeah. So my question for you then here as we wrap it up is, where does it go from here? I mean, what do you think? Will we see Tiger at the Masters? Will we see Tiger competitive again? Uh, in any way, uh, or or will we really see him sort of try to move into what I think is a natural position for him if he wants it, which is sort of this this iconic figure of golf? Where where, where does it go for Tiger? Well, I think that to 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 look at this question in through through the prism of of what has come before. Sure, you know Jack did Jack did rededicate himself. Yes, he did. At the age of at the age of forty, and I think it was because forty was a milestone, and 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 he felt it sort of slipping away. Right. And he really worked super hard, and won two majors at the age of forty. But then that you know after that there was, you know, he, he can thank Greg Norman for the nineteen eighty six months. He had the eighty six matches, and he had, but, and he lost to Pebble when when uh, when Watson chipped in. Yeah. But you're right. But, Correct. But so in order to even get that after good, forty. Yeah. Even to get that good. He had to, I mean, as he said, the hardest work he ever put in on the golf course was was getting it back after 40. Trying to get it back. Now, I have, I'll have another question for you, which is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you are close with Tom Watson. Sure. How old was he when he won his last major? 30, 32 or 33. I think he might have been 33 right. when he won his last British Open. So that was, I think he and was then what? And then, and then and how old do you think Arnold, Arnold Palmer was 30, when he won his last major? 32. 30, 34. 34, so, okay. Yeah, so now in 2008, Tiger Woods was 32. There you go. And it's, so it, if you really look at it, there are a few exceptions. Gary Player, Player. who obviously uh, was, a, was just, you know, super dedicated. Right, and, talk about and a, one, a freak, yeah. You know, <laughs> just a, a guy that was, that was just dedicated. and yes. And continues to this day to be in better shape than most men half his age. But the reality is that most of these guys, and even a guy like Phil, uh, you know, Phil, you get into your 40s, you become a pinch hitter. You have good weeks. Right. And, you know, VJ is the only one that consistently did it for a season. Um, but, again, a, a tremendously hard worker who, yes. frankly, has no other life. Right. I mean, <laughs> this is what he does. He pounds golf balls. Day after day after day, uh, you know, his, one of his caddies, you know, told me he called him Christmas morning and said, "I, I want to work." You know, and the guy's like, "I, I got kids. It's Christmas morning." Feejay's <laughs> like, "No, no, no. You get out on the range. We got work to do, pal." I mean, so I mean that kind of level of, of freakishness. But other than that, the reality is, once you get most of the most of the great great golfers, I mean, Hogan's an exception, but Hogan wasn't as Hogan found his secret 
later in life. Yes. And so he didn't have it when he was 22 or else he would have been pretty good. Right. At, at, you know, earlier than that. But the reality is most of these guys, they get into their early to mid thirties and that is the peak. Yes. And after that it's downhill. So what, do I believe the tiger will come back? I do believe he will. Will he ever be a shadow of the, of, of the, the guy that dominated for 13 years? And if you really go back into his amateur career, I'm going to give him another four or five sure. on top of that. But no, he will not be. Will he win another major? I doubt it. Will he win another tournament? I doubt it. But I think we will see him. At least I think he wants to see. And I hope he does. I personally hope he does. That he wants to see if he can get it back. Because that in some, in, in some way would be, I think, a hell of a story. And, and a, more, a more apt ending a more fitting ending uh to to his story because it's sad to say for me that that the greatest player i've ever seen certainly the most dominant player i've ever seen you know just fell apart in in such a uh you know frankly an ugly way and uh i don't i don't think that that you know that i don't it doesn't make anybody happy that that's the way it, no. that's the way it ended this this career. So I would like to see him give it a shot, but I just don't know what he's got left, if anything. Well, that's the thing. Look, I, I could not agree with you more. Nothing, no story in golf would be better than Tiger Woods coming back to any level to win a Darnold tournament, much less go to the Masters, which I think is most people feel is his best shot because he gets to come there every year. Uh, to go to the Masters and win the Masters, it would be the biggest story since certainly since Nicholas, and, and maybe the biggest story ever in in, in you know Masters history. Would love it. Oh, I would love it. I would do. You know, I would love to be there. Love to write about it. Uh, I root for him. You know, from from that perspective, and I root for him because I, I I I'm so grateful to him for for what he's given golf and and us as viewers. So would love that. Would absolutely love that. Don't believe it. Don't. I don't believe it. Here's and he, and here's why. Here's why. You you kind of touch on this. I think if there was a sliver of hope, in other words, if he came back and like you know it was sort of even that Greensboro thing at the end, which obviously was the end. I mean you know where he played pretty well during the week and sort of seemed to be getting his game back. He was in the lead for a while there on on the weekend and all that. If he could see that and go, I think then he could say, oh, you know what? If I work crazy crazy hard like i used to when i was a kid i can again become a i'll never be the same player but i can again become a real threat and a, and a really good golfer but that has to happen first i don't see how he's going to put in that level of work if he doesn't believe it if he doesn't really believe that he can come back and i gotta say now the business stuff now everything else that's going on it's been so long since he's played finding that level of belief, I think it's got to be really, really hard for him. Yeah, I, t I completely agree. And I think that if, as you said, if it was there, uh, you know, we would have, we would have, we would have seen it. Would have seen and it. I think that the, the other part of this is that let's not forget. I mean, he is not just in a sense lost as a golfer. He's lost as a, as, as a golfer with, with his swing. Yeah. Like what, what, what is this swing now? It's, I mean, forget about the move, which was, I think, in, you know, and, and look, Hank Haney and I get along just fine, but I mean, we disagree on, I, I liked, I liked what he was doing with Butch Harmon. I didn't think there was, there was anything bad about it, but of course, Tiger being a perfectionist, as soon as Butch says to him, everything from now on will be maintenance. That's like a siren going off in Tiger's head going, what are you doing? Maintenance? I'm not, I, you know, he, he's looking for perfection, which right. is ironic because he's, he's, he's like every, you know, 13 handicapper who wants to get to nine. I mean, he's, he's like, no, 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 there's more, there's more. I know there is. And so he goes and searches for it. And, and part of why I, I'm okay in a sense with that is because if he didn't have that nature, he would never have been who he was. Right. If he was content to just go, okay, this is good. I'll just sit here. He never would have been driven the way he was, no. but, but let's just say he played, he figured out a way to make it work with Hank swing. I didn't, I think Hank swing, Certainly, while he was better with his iron seven through wedge, he was not better with his with his long game. 
uh, with with Hank Swing, but he hit those irons great, and he putted great, and he won majors. Sure. Now, when he moved to Foley Swing, you know that that was a swing. Frankly, again, and I like Sean Foley a lot, but that was a swing for a guy who doesn't know what really he does, who doesn't have a reliable swing. Yeah. Here's a swing that'll get get you to hit this pretty straight. Uh, there's not a lot of creativity to it. It's just you know, we're going to hit pretty straight shots. But Tiger didn't really fully adapt that swing because he made his own little improvisations, as you probably would imagine he does. But at some point, I think that that swing he realized wasn't going to do it. He was very steep. And the other part of it is I, I don't think it was good for his back, and he probably realized that. So now he's, you know, with, with now he doesn't have a swing coach. He has a consultant called Chris Como with a, a lot of mechanical ideas like Foley again, you know, just a lot of sort of mechanical ideas. And, you know, I think that when he was 16 and he saw flags or when he was 10 and he saw a flag, he didn't wonder how he was going to swing the club right. to get the ball That's to the right. flag. That's right. He's just looking at that flag going, I'm going to hit this at the flag and off she goes. Uh, so, you know, let's let's that not forget that there's that. Well, that's it's it's who knows what his swing is now. Yeah. I don't think he has a clue what the what is Tiger Woods' swing. I think he has no clue, and it's going to be a hodgepodge. And it certainly was. And let's remember the you know when we last saw him at the Wyndham, that wasn't exactly a star-studded field. No, and he he he, he essentially uh, he essentially had another version of the chip yips with yep. a chance to win it. And and let's not forget the fifty one year old Davis Love the third won that tournament. Yeah. So um, you know it's it's there's a lot going on. And look, the odds are against him. I don't know if he, and it's got to begin as you know to to circle all the way back. It's got to begin with the desire that he had once upon a time to be the greatest player ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We shall see, and then we'll we'll keep up with this. You you'll come back on the podcast as we as we get him to come back to a tournament and actually play and all that. So, uh, cannot thank you enough for taking the time. You got it, mate. It's always a pleasure, and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean let's uh, let's 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 do this again, and uh, and hopefully Tiger will give us some more things to chat about. <laughs>